Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fourth Wall, the podcast. My name is Elena Newell. Hey, everyone. It's Tyler McKenzie. And it is Corey Vera. You already know. Hey, y'all. Today, we're having a fun little recap episode, and Tyler, do you want to tell the people a little bit why we have gathered together in this in this configuration? I would love to. Hey, everyone. Tyler here. Um, I'm the producer of Fourth Wall Podcast, um, and I am so proud of what we've been doing over the past few months. Um, this idea came from, not from nowhere, but it came to me when I really needed the space to hold space and it came at the best time and we've done so many things. We've had so many conversations. We've talked to so many people and oh my gosh, the topics that we've had on this platform have been amazing. And I thought it would be a great idea to have a recap episode. So a best of the best, what still rings true? What, needs a little bit more discussion. What do our listeners need to hear twice, period, mm-hmm. or more than once, you know, um, because the conversation still goes on. So what we're going to do today is we're going to we're going to be talking about our favorites. Um, we've each brought um, a segment of older episodes that need to be flushed out a little bit more, need to be um, talked about a little bit more. And we have Corey here um, because I was like, we need his energy. I want him to be a guest on the podcast. So let's just bring him in as an avid listener to the podcast and see what his favorite was. And let's see what happens when we get three incredible black voices. Come on. In one Period. Adding. So here we are. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so for those who, uh, Need to know, any episode we refer to will be in the show notes. You guys can just look down in that description and you'll find links to those episodes and the information of the people that we're talking about in those episodes. And I say, let's just jump in. So Tyler, do you want to talk about your episode first? Yes, I would love to. Um, So I chose episode seven, The Miseducation of Black BFAs. Um, Since my episode that I recorded with Gail and Elena, um, I have since taken a position, um, accepted a position at Penn State University as a dance instructor um, in the musical theater department. So it's so interesting that this episode um, has students from Penn State, BOCO, and CCM, which are three huge um, BFA programs. And um, I'm so excited for you all to just listen again to what these three incredible, incredible students had to say about their experience. But with this in particular, I think it rings true today. And I'm excited to share a little bit of some of development that I've noticed, especially taking on this new role. So here we go. Observatory you know, integrating Black people, also integrating, <laughs> also integrating women into their program and stuff like that. Um, yet there are no white teachers, I mean, no, no Black teachers that I've ever had 
if there were black teachers, I never saw them. Who are they? They're nowhere to be found. Like, did they even exist? I don't know if they even existed because they weren't there. Um, and, you know, we only had, you know, the, the only black people that I really saw were the custodians or the janitors, literally. Um, there was a, um, the woman who did the mail, she was black, but basically just a lot of white people who get to have a type, who get to be a, a somebody. Something that's cool. Are we good to talk about it? Yes, let's go. Um, I think something that's cool is that we're all coming into this with a black BFA experience. Mm -hmm. That's something that all three of us have done. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like hearing the episode and even when we were recording it, um, I it was crazy to me. It was like, like heartwarming. So it was like, oh my gosh, like look at these other people who go through the same thing I go through. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was also heartbreaking to be like, this is the experience of almost every black BFA student. And how is that the case that like, we all recognize, like, we all felt that when it was like, yeah, really, there's not a lot of black faculty there. Really, like, there's maybe three or four black people in our class, if we're lucky. <clears throat> um, and so I just, even like when we were recording that episode, like, I was like in my closet <laughs> with like just talking to these three guys, and it was um, so special to just like all of us who, like, none of us knew each other. Or we like some of us knew of each other, but to, for us to just all bond with that one thing that connects all of us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you think that it would be, and they they all all three of them come from like pretty big schools, and you would think it'd be the opposite. You'd think because the three of us all graduated from the same school in different years with a BFA in musical theater um, from a small school in the mountains of North Carolina, Western Carolina University. <laughs> um, you would think that students that go to bigger schools with apparently more money and more following more notability would ha not have that um issue as far as diversity in their faculty mm -hmm. however um i don't know if it's changed but because because you both are younger than i am but i still don't think there's any people of color on the faculty at our school right there's not one I don't, there's leo we have leo, leo yes who's like lighting we don't have any we have no poc performance professors yes. yeah yes. and i i do remember that i don't think i ever perhaps there was i think there was a little bit of naive of a naive quality to my generation your generation i believe sees in some cases sees a bigger picture and like because of social media your voices are very loud and proud um but back then i don't think i was i didn't notice it i didn't notice why there why there might have been some maybe a learning imbalance maybe i didn't feel don't get me wrong i loved my experience at school but i wonder how even more positive it, it would have been if I had someone who looked like me or had the experience like I did um, and, and where it was able to tell me this is what you're, you're, you will expect when you go to New York City and being a black boy in in the, in theater um, and for, for people to and this is David Andre he is a graduate from BOCO 
um, and had no people of color in faculty. And I think um, a statistic that I found, especially when I received the position at Penn State, was I think there's like only 5% of the professors in the United States are Black males, let alone my 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 identifiers, which is gay, black male, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so to add a little bit of a, an upper percentage to that is amazing. I will say that Penn state in general, their performance faculty is very diverse. And I love that. Um, I do not feel like the token faculty member. Um, I might be the youngest faculty member, but I am definitely not the only black faculty member. And I, enjoy that so much um i love that um and it can only get better we can only do better Corey, what was your experience like like how did you how did you go throughout school not having um like a black male to to see and to almost like get like as a ment as a mentor you know what i mean not not have that opportunity man you know i'm really conflicted when it comes to that part of it only because not only did we have no poc you know, instructors, I was the only POC in my class. So when oftentimes, you know, something might've happened, like for instance, freshman year, we did hair, you know, if there was, we had some trouble with, you know, certain aspects of hair. And when it came to like, who should sing this, you know, not having enough POC to necessarily do the show. So, you know, like when I came home with problems, there was no one that I could really vent to who would really understand what I, you know, how I felt, you know, I could, you know, my best friend, Autumn, I could talk to her about a problem, but you know, she doesn't know that black, you know, she doesn't know that side of it. You know, she's there, she, yeah. you know, she's there on the human side, but she's not on, you know, the black side, you know, someone that could be there and say, yeah, you know, I feel that, you know, maybe what we should do this about it. We should do that about it. You know, that sort of deal. So, you know, you know, but at the same time, I'm used to it only because growing yeah. up back. Okay. Back at elementary school, um, I was big in the arts, always been big in the arts, you know, at church, you know, singing in the choir, you know, doing, you know, on the step team, on the dance team, like praise team, you know, that sort of deal, you know, always just been in the arts, been, you know, it's in my family, it's in my blood. And so when I first started out, you know, I was only, only knew the black side, you know, the black side of theater in quotations, you know, the church, you know, and so even like my theater teachers and music teachers at my elementary school, black you know you know i felt you know and i was i was little then so you know i didn't know you know what i know now about being a black man Mm -hmm. in this world but going into i went to a performing arts middle school there it was completely different you know we still those same black kids that went to elementary school with me were still with me but then i kind of dove off and went into the theater side of like you know the school so i stopped seeing all those people i stopped seeing you know my black friends so then you know, my brain got used, you know, not being around those black people. I got so used to being the only black guy, you know, only black person really in the arts. So, you know, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, never really, you know, there might've been one ever, you know, to come in and do a musical every so now and then. But then I went to a performing arts high school out of, I think maybe, maybe 300 people that went to the performing arts high school, only maybe 25% of those people were black. And that might be in that, like, that might be an exaggeration. Might be. You know, I just, I got so used to there not being any, you know, people that look like me. So, you know, I, in a, in a way, learned how to deal with it before even coming to Western. And so once I got here, I, you know, I was like, I don't know, I got pretty used to 
I wouldn't say not speaking up about certain matters, but I got used to, you know, dealing with it in a way that would make both sides happy in the end. And, you know, even mm-hmm. if it made, you know, even if not so much I, you know, they felt more happy than I did in the end that, you know, um, so I don't know. I, in a way, taught, am I answering the question? Like I, you know, I taught myself how to, to deal I, with. I think so. I think um, out of the three of us, and I could be wrong. I think I am the more, I was the more radical student. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of this, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking speak about speak on it. Right speak now. on it. Um, <laughs> I like growing up. My mom was a social worker for 20 years, and now she like does foster care work with higher education with an HBCU in North Carolina. Um, but as a social worker who's seen children not have a voice, specifically black and brown children, she always taught me to speak up. Like normally, when parents would be like, "Clean your room." And you'd be like, well, why? It'd be like, because I said so. Like, my mom encouraged us to have conversations, for us to ask questions, for us to really know why we're doing things. And if something felt right, if we felt like we were being taken advantage of, me and my older sister, we were allowed to speak on it and have conversations with our parents and with adults around us. Um, Which really, by the time I got here, if something felt wrong, I had no problem approaching someone about it because... That's what, like, in my head, I was like, that's what you should do. If you feel uncomfortable, I was like, I'm paying money to go here. Like, I have to be here for four years. Um, And I think freshman year, I got surrounded by certain students who at that point had been fed up with everything going on at school. Because by that point, there was a lot of things. Um, And up until that point, it was kind of just everyone thought, don't say anything. Because if you say something, then you won't get cast. If you say something, then the teachers won't like you. Um, and so people were just like kind of holding things in and like my freshman year was when I was just, we started questioning it specifically like me and my best friend Ashani, like saying, well, why don't we speak up? Why shouldn't we talk about these things? Um, and eventually it got to a point where in my head, I stopped caring about what my outcome, the outcome that I got would be, or like whether I would be cast anymore, because in my head I was like, I'm only, by the time I started getting extremely radical in terms of like calling out my professors, having meetings with like the dean, if I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere with my head or with anyone else, um, was because I'm no longer doing this for me because I'm only going to be here for, by the time they actually enact change that would be beneficial, I'm going to be on my way out. I'm doing this for the people after me so they they don't have to put up with all the things that I put up with. Um, And I also, I think I've also like, somehow ended up growing a lot of working outside of class relationships with a lot of our professors here. So I never felt like there was a big delineation. I didn't feel like they had some kind of power over me or that they were somehow better than me or had more like authority. Like I respected them as professors, but because with a lot of them, I've had instances where I got to interact with them um, and other uh, with like other labels attached to us instead of just teacher student. Um, I wasn't afraid to have those conversations. Um, and so I, I think it's interesting that all of us, it reminds me of another episode that we had where we were basically just talking about like finding the like line between playing the game, quote unquote, hmm. um, and not shooting yourself in the foot, but also like figuring out what you stand for and how you stand up for it um, and which reactions will get the best outcome based on what you want to see come out of it. Um, and so I think it's interesting and it makes me, but I think it's like, it took like Tyler going through the program and succeeding 
Hmm. for Corey to be like, I can put up with this and I can deal with this for four years and keep my head down. And it took like Corey being able to be like, I can put up with this and keep my head down for me to be like, okay, he can do it. I can do that. And I can also like, I don't have to not speak up for me to be successful here. Like I've spoken up and I'm still tapped to be in shows. I'm still in projects. I'm still creating my own projects. Um, And so I think it's important to talk about like no one's right or wrong for whatever they spoke up for because it took each step to get to where we are now, specifically with our program, I think. Yeah, I would have, I, I would not have been the only um, black student in my class hadn't Ariana got successful and peaced out. You know what I mean? Um, but I just realized after Corey was talking, I was like, oh my God. I was the only one too. Is there, okay, this is going to be so weird. Is there any, like, anything, like, fun about being, did you find it fun at all to be the only person that was, like, you know, they say everyone's an individual, but there's, like, so much individuality in being the only person of color in your class, like, specifically. Did you ever, like, feel significant in that sense? You know, for me, it always came when it was time to uh, sing in Kristen's studio because, you know, you're so used, you know, being, say we're in a room with the entire musical theater department. There's what, maybe 50 to maybe 70 of us. If that might be a big number, that's not even, you know, but, you know, we're so used to hearing the same songs over and over again. So every time that is, you know, I will never forget. I will never forget freshman year the 16 bar party you know we do every year where you get up and you do you know introduce yourself as a freshman um and you know you get to hear everyone in the department sing their best 16 bars i got up and sang um let it sing from violet a song that i am sure they have not heard there in years there's just there was no one there to sing it so you know it felt good you know so when i would put my you know my touch on it bring my church to the song you know bring my you know my riffs my runs my yeah you know that sort of deal they were you know it made them excited. It made them, you know, I remember getting reactions like, <gasps> I like, I still have the videos on my phone, like looking back at it and just seeing their reactions. Like that's something that like when I'm down, when I feel low, you know, in my creativity, I can go back and look at these videos for me performing and, you know, be excited, get hyped up by the fact that, you know, my white friends are excited to hear me sing, you know, a song that they don't hear often, you know, even like, you know, every year it just, I got, you know, excited when Kristen asked me to sing in studio because, you know, it's time, you know, sing a song that they probably don't hear, you know, put my twist on a song that, you know, how they don't normally hear the song, you know? So like that, I will say was like the the most fun part about being, you know, one of the few black people in the department being the only black person in my class because, you know, that just, it was a new, it was a new spin, you know, it was a new, you know, drop my, you know, drop my flavor on the program, you know, it just, you know, you know, it can get, it can get pretty bland. It can get very salt and pepper. It can get very like that, you know, but, you know, it's fun. It's fun being black, you know, and it I think it might have t- taken that, cause, you know, I don't want I don't want to keep talking. But freshman year was also a very hard year only because it was the election season then. And so it was just mm-hmm. very hard being black on campus in 2016. And so in North, in North Carolina. Yes. And so I will say I was a little nervous, like just like going to Western alone, just because of the fact, you know, of what was going on in our country at the time. Um, And so, you know, sometimes they might see, you know, whenever I would see like a black person on campus, you might not see their head up. You know, they're not kicking like, you know, normal people would, you know, they're very like go from point A to point B. And so, you know, 
I think me being able to like be myself in you know studio and sing my songs like I wanted to sing them made them realize or like made them actually see with their own two eyes that like it's okay to be black yeah we're facing hard times but hey baby I ain't going nowhere you know baby we're here you know and so like me singing my let it sing singing my I'll um, I'll cover you reprise or singing my you know singing my white boys from hair you know songs you know they can't sing mm-hmm. <laughs> listen to that again songs that shouldn't they shouldn't sing, sing. songs they yes. shouldn't sing because some of y'all still be trying some of y'all still sing and breathe from in the, in the heights baby baby nina sit on down nina sit on down uh so yeah so <laughs> I, I will say that was the most fun part just being able to like sing songs that i know they just normally didn't hear like songs that you know they can't you know can't sing just being able to like give that to them yeah and then you get to New York City, and there are, not all, but there are some instances where you realize, okay, there are only two of us, there's only three of us in the room, and a lot of times, hopefully that'll change, I have faith, um, a lot of times you realize, oh, cool, we're up for the same track, only one of us is going to get it, um, and there are a lot of other, like, non-POC, non-Black, you know, um, uh dancers actors in the room and you're like there are seven roles that they're going to be considered for and there's only one for us Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and you know that very clear either it's just the it's it's the show and you know exactly how it's written and you know what it's written for and what the story is and yes if it's about this character being black and it like lifts black voices and it's not a caricature a caricature or anything like that then like live but if it's only because this is the black role this is the funky spunky role you're like oh gosh can't we just how beautiful it's what's really beautiful is when you go into a show that is like very diverse and there's just all different types of colors and you have no clue who what their what track you're being considered for specifically when you go in for hamilton you just have no freaking clue like there's just a huge room full of all colors white black hispanic everything everything oh my god asian oh my gosh um and you just have no clue there might be some sort of like pattern but you can't trust that pattern because it's just so all over the place in the best way. Um, so I, it took me by surprise when I realized, okay, I'm going in for this show and okay, there's three of us here. Okay, we're all in for the same track. There's no mixing it up or anything like that. And cool. So this is not about lifting each other up. This is about competition and we're being pinned against each other. You know, that's what, mm-hmm. it, that's what it is, you know? Right. Um, Elena, are you, were you, are you currently, are you the only um, Black student in your class in musical theater? No, I'm the only Black girl in my class, but there's a Black boy and Leon is the Black boy in our class. Um, Yeah. And then in the class below us, there's one Black girl and then there's one Black boy in the class below that and then that's it for musical theater. So there, after we graduate, there's only going to be two oh oh god oh god um but i think one thing i do want to say about that experience is i think um it's kind of like a child by fire like i feel like i've gained so much more confidence because of being one of the only black people here for multiple reasons one um i know my skill set and so the people here who don't look like me who felt like they could or felt like they wanted to compete with me 
that was all in their head and not in mine. Because I was like, we don't look alike, girl. I'm not trying to compete with five foot two blonde blue eyes, you know? Like, it's not... Or like anyone, like like anyone in my program, and specifically in my class, because nobody else in my class looks anything like me or sings anything like me. Yeah. Um, and so it helped me build my own confidence. Um, and it also made me like put more effort into my relationships with my fellow black students. Like I, everywhere I go, I like establish relationships with the black people around me. Cause I think it's important cause you need someone who can talk about things that you can't kind of talk about with anyone else. Um, and making sure that we don't compete. Like one of my best friends, HK, who's a grade below me, like we've known each other since ninth grade. And since she's gotten to Western, I make it a point to be like, we are never competing. One, me and HK don't sound the same. We don't act the same. Like we shouldn't be considered for any of the same roles anyway. But when we are, because we are sometimes, yeah. um, we don't view it as competition because we're, we are not going to let a program pin the only two black girls in this program against each other. We were, we're going to refuse to let that happen. Yeah. Um, I also think in a fun way, like we kind of not get away with more, but like, I feel like sometimes people here are like afraid to question what we do or afraid to like push us too much of like, um, I think just the way we like carry ourselves, we carry ourselves like we are important because we are. Mm -hmm. um, so when we say something, sometimes like in a hit, like we don't wanna like hurt their, we don't wanna be offensive. We don't wanna shoot down. Like I can go into a room and say something and they won't question it. Hmm. Um, they might ask questions. They might, you know, mm -hmm. inquire on how to make it a better situation, but they, they don't talk down, um, because I, we hold ourselves to a certain standard and we don't go below it. And they recognize that, which I think is also something powerful that we've gained from being one of the only ones, I think. Tyler, back to a point that you made while you were talking about, um, going in for Hamilton and, you know, just never knowing where someone would fit. It's funny, I was recently, just uh, while I was back, I went to Western last week or two weeks ago to work on Metropolis, mm -hmm. which we're all in. Um, and I had a talk with Ashley and I was just like, we were just kicking in, just talking about, you know, life and just my class. And I, you know, I was thinking while we were talking just about how crazy the circle of life is and how crazy comparing my freshman year to my senior year and in the department alone, uh, the first show I was cast in was, I was... <laughs> People said I was cast because of my race, which it was a black role. It had to be black, but also leaving with my last show being cast in a role that also had to be of color. So, you know, it was very, very, it's a very tricky, it's a very tricky thing. You know, um, freshman year, I didn't think too much about it only because, you know, I was a little wee baby. Like I, you know, I'm not thinking about, you know, I was lucky to get, you know, where I was blessed. I was blessed. No, I'm not lucky. I'm blessed. Come on. Um, Clap for the heavy me. Um, but you know, just it's crazy just to think about how we don't, you know, just the mindsets of like you know the black performers versus like the white performers. Not that it's you know like a th it's not it shouldn't be a thing, but you know it just it's weird that they think oh they only got cast because they're black or and it just it I heard it so often while I was in school. It just it's so it's just so I don't even know the word I want to use. It's just so. Ugh. that you know that's the mind it's the peers yeah that it's just the mindset that people have because you know it doesn't make me feel good that you think i was just cast just because i was black honey what if i yeah. honey i went in that audition and i killed it and i know i killed it i left that room just knowing if i don't do anything else i left my whole soul on that on the in audition room you know it just it's yeah. very it's just the whole collegiate 
performing arts cycle is just very uh sometimes it definitely has its pros and its cons right. and that's one of the cons that i took away from uh college it's just the mindset of being a black performer it just it gets hard it's hard it's hard boy that's all and it's multifaceted yes. i think what you just brought up is like we can say there's something wrong with the institution because there is. We can say there's something wrong with the professors and the way that they're approaching us. It is. But a lot of that stuff, a lot of the psychological things that you go through, specifically as a person of color in a BFA program, is stuff that is imposed on you by peers, people who don't know any more than you do. Mm -hmm. And everyone's just making assumptions on how it all works. And that's what's in your head. People aren't freaking out about the auditions because of whatever the professor told them is required. They're freaking out about what they heard is going to be required from another student or what they heard they're looking for. Or, oh, you'll only get considered for this. And if you get considered for something else, it's just because they don't want to look bad. Or like, it's so many different layers that we have to deal with. But I want us to jump into the next section because I also picked a, C a section from the Black BFA episode. Um... And this one kind of talks more about, we talked about like going through the situations and this is kind of more about when you go through those situations, how do you handle it? Who do you go to? How do you fix it? Um, so let's listen to that. That's the thing. It's like one, I had, everybody's had that, that, that conversation with it. I had a dance teacher come up to me and be like, Hey, like where the black audition is. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what kind of question is that? Like, you can't ask, like, like it, it's, we don't, I mean, we're all connected, but we're not all, like, I just feel like that's, it's an ignorant thing, and it's also, like, it, it, that's the most ignorant thing I've ever been asked before. Like, I mean, that's bullshit, but I'm saying, like, I, like, why, what, what in your mind possesses you to think that I would be like, oh, here's, like, I don't think there's one way specifically to bring in Black people, like, what? I, I'm sorry, I just get, I, that shit really fucking grinds my gears like <laughs> it's so counterintuitive though too because it's like you're asking for help yet you're not going to listen to the answer until you get the answer that you want but there's no there's never going to be an answer that you want you know what i mean it's like you have to listen to what we're asked we're telling you to do without listening like you're just going to get stuck you're going to keep hitting the wall and it's like why can't you just like fucking listen <laughs> i don't know why people why white people have a hard time listening yeah. You know what I mean? Unless if it's something that they want to hear. But when it comes to this, it's never going to be anything that anybody that they want to hear, like that they want to hear. Like, it's really frustrating, you know? I had a conversation, um, my senior year, I had a conversation with one of the people, um, I don't know what you, I don't know his position, but basically an incident happened in class where that's another story. The N-word was used, I was upset. And so I came to this guy in the office and I was like, listen, if there's any sort of way that you guys can just do some sort of sensitivity training for the teachers and students, because it's the whole, the whole school is dripping in racism, you know, like you guys have mm. to like, it sucks that I have to tell you this story, something that happened to me among a lot of other things that happened to me because this is my last year, right? That I'm that we're having this conversation. And I'm like trying to get him, like I'm just trying to, you know, cause it's not even about me at this point. Like I'm about to graduate. 
So at this point, it's about all the other black students that you're gonna accept. It's all about the people who come after me. Like, what are you gonna do to make sure that they're okay? Because I don't want, I wouldn't want anybody to go through what I had to go through. And I didn't even have to go through it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, and I don't even know if they're even doing anything about it. Like, apparently they do have some sort of thing now that they're, um, now that they, and. Berkeley joined together as schools. Um, I think Berkeley is more, is better with diversity just because they have black teachers. <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, what are you gonna do to listen to your The students? reason I picked this is that part of this discussion was the impetus for starting Fourth Wall. Um, the idea that um, the white counterparts don't necessarily want to hear the right hear an answer unless it's the answer they want mm -hmm. um i've been doing a lot of studies on intimacy direction and intimacy choreography and the biggest thing about it is consent um and consent that, that means there has to be a yes and a no a lot of times in theatrical settings a professor will say do this um or can i can you can you give me this and no matter how outrageous it is or how disrespectful of someone's time it is the only acceptable answer will be yes they don't want to hear anything else but yes. And when it comes to racial issues, specifically that I've experienced here, when it's like, Elena, what can we do to make things better? I will give them an answer and I'll take time to make it concise, make sure they don't hurt their feelings. It'll be a full answer. And then they'll ask me the same question a week later, not because I didn't answer it the first time, but because I didn't give them what they wanted. Um, and uh, that's something that I think is like the like the idea of not wanting to listen unless you hear what you want that feels like the biggest problem specifically in these programs where you have these professors who have been in this business for a long time they may have multiple degrees um multiple experiences which makes them feel like they have some knowledge over you but if they're white then there's no way that they can learn more about being black than you do there's no amount of training there's no amount of classes they can take that will give them that kind of education over you um, and so then there, there's that power dynamic that creates things that make it a little bit difficult, but I won't keep talking. I want to hear what you guys think. You're, you're so right. Because like in a day we live in a time and a lot of my colleagues are doing the same thing. They're taking these classes, these anti-racism classes, these, um, changing up the syllabus classes. And that's so beautiful. And I think education is so important. Um, but it, it does, there is a set, it, it separates you. It, there is a, there is a great awareness that comes from you knowing that you get to close your computer when that class is done. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, we walk around every single day with it on our bodies. You know what I mean? It's not something we can like sign out of. We don't, we don't, it does, it's not a Zoom link, you know? Um, it's not a textbook. It, it just is, you know? Um, I'm curious, Elena, because like, good for you. It separates you from a lot of us who are, not to say that you're not tired, but people who are so exhausted that they just don't, they don't even want to be asked the question. Like, why are you asking me? What can you do? Figure it out. You know what I mean? What, what? you've taken the time to respond like what what have you said when some when a school says 
what can we do about recruitment? What do we need to do better? Like what, what is that? What is an answer that comes to your head? Cause like, there's a ton of different answers, but like what's something that came to your head in which you generously offered them when they, when they're, there could be a little bit more outreach that didn't have to mm-hmm. do with a, stu- a current student? Um, I've given a lot of answers, but I think the more times I've had to repeat myself, because this is a conversation that I've been asked since I got here freshman year. Um, I say, like, I joke around and say that, like, I've been the diversity police since I've gotten here. Because mm-hmm. ever since I first brought up an issue, anytime there's any kind of concern so, and they're worried about how they look, they're like, well, Elena, what do you think about this? Um, and I think the answer I've come up with the most recently um, when it comes to like, how do we make students feel safe? How do we bring in more students um, of diverse backgrounds? Um, I say, first, create a space where all of your students feel heard and understood and cared for, regardless of their race. Because if these kids come to these auditions and it's clear that the students don't feel like they have a say in anything, or it's clear that the students don't feel like they have a voice, then no one's going to want to be comfortable here. Um, We had a discussion with Harvey Young and George Brown, who were deans of two different fine arts programs, uh, Boston University and Western Carolina. And Harvey, who is a black man, said, like, student empowerment is where that starts. Like, if you give your students funding and projects and clubs that they have power over, then that will improve how they feel. That'll improve their interactions with their professors. Hmm. Um, I also think it's about understanding that one like no one black person is the spokesperson for every other black person and so you asking me how i feel about something does not mean that someone else won't be offended by it or they won't or maybe they won't care or maybe that does they don't even think about those kind of things um and so it's about asking questions and asking questions with the intention of making the other party feel better instead of asking questions with the intention of trying not to look bad yeah. Because um, I think that's the difference is that there are specific and in most instances with specific people here have been not asking me how I feel before the fact when they knew that the situation was wrong. It's after the fact when they hear that people are upset and just like and justifiably so. And then saying, oh, well, what can we do? But it was well, like, well, you, we shouldn't have had the conversation in the first place, specifically with Bring It On last year, which is a show that we were going to do pre-COVID that me and Corey were going to be a part of. Years before that, we I'd had discussions with the previous head of the uh, state and screen and all the professors that I'm close with saying that when there's only four or five black people in a program, when you're doing these kind of shows and next to other shows, we don't feel like we even have a chance to be in anything else and that we have to be in these things, not because we're talented. Yeah, we're talented. Yes, the black people at Western are incredibly talented. But that's not why we will be in those roles. It's because you need six black people and there's only six in the program. So they're all going to have to be in this show. And those are conversations we've had with them from since the time I've gotten here, because right before I got here was intimate apparel and it was another situation with that. And then directly after these conversations, they're like, oh, we're going to do bring it on a show where it's not necessarily stated that every single um, character is black, but they go to an inner city school, which is constantly there their vocabulary is of that of someone who seems less educated than the white people in the show it's referred to that certain people are too white or too ghetto those are things that are referred to in the show Mm -hmm. and when black students were coming up to them saying that made them uncomfortable and they were calling like me or other black theater ensemble members into the offices 
saying, oh, like, should we have a forum? Like, should we discuss this? It's like, no, because we told you ahead of time that this is not something that we wanted. Um, we didn't want to be ostracized and you did it anyway. And so instead of basically, I would say, instead of trying to come after the fact, empower your students and get their opinions in the beginning and actually listen to those opinions. Don't just hold meetings because you feel like it's the right thing to do or that that's what your boss wants you to do to make things right. If you have no intention of implementing those um, practices, because that's only it's going to only create more tension in your program. It's not going to fix anything. People are just going to become more restless and more frustrated. Um, so that's kind of where I've been saying. I've been saying empower your students and listen. One, listen to me the first time and ask me those questions ahead of time before you make those decisions that you know might be controversial. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Yeah, that's 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 tough. I I think one thing that I thought about was my freshman year, I we did chorus line and everyone knows chorus line. Uh, I can't assume, but you know, there's only there's only usually there's only one black role. Um and I was like, all right, this is what I this is what I'm going out for. This is the one I can only do. Um and there was another there was um, it was my freshman year and there was a senior, I believe he was a senior and he was black and really talented, really great. Um, and I was like, I am, this is the only role I'm up for or I'm right for, and it's going to go to the senior. So to automatically know that this is like, it's not based on talent. It's not even based on your, it, it's based on your year as well as you being up against the, a senior and you're the only two black kids. I get, I think, uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm like, it's all a blur. Um, but yeah, when you, when you, when you choose shows that automatically like lessen people of color, black people, um, there's the students, when they lessen the students' chances of getting a, even a shot at playing these roles. Um, and then I think about like, I think it's a big, it's a bigger problem. We need more, we need more writers who are writing shows, plays, just works that either don't have to do anything about race or don't put the race in the character description. Like what, why is it so specific? What do they feel? Happiness, sadness, anxiety, excitement. Great. All humans feel that. You know what I mean? We have a, we have a, and then we can just bring in our point of view, know that there isn't just one, like one role that we're right for. And I think that, that they, they battle a lot, I think schools, because they try to choose the school, the shows that are going to sell well and all that stuff. So if it's a big name, most of the time, the big name shows at this point in time are pretty problematic with when they were written. So there are a lot of changes. There are a lot of um, changes that need to be made and the big change that will also help a lot of students might cost you money. And that's when it matters when the change or when the thing that you're doing costs you something, that's when we know you're putting in the work, mm. you know, I loved this episode so much hearing these three like incredible 
black students um, at these schools from these big schools and just how deeply they felt. Some of them were recounting things from their like freshman year. So it's just like, and some of us are recounting things from a pretty long time ago. And it's just, you realize that it, it like, it stings. You write it in your, your permanent journal in your head it just like doesn't, it's not something that goes away. You might forget for a little bit. It's just always there. And when you're asked to bring it back up, it's just not a, it's just so crystal clear, you know, right. when you, when it happens to you and I'm, everyone feels pain. I get it. Everyone feels pain, but like, there's a difference between like feeling, there's a difference feeling pain because of something you did or something that was in your control and then feeling pain for something that like isn't, which happens to be a permanent part of your body, you know, or permanent it's trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so it's, it's interesting. It's disheartening. It's sad. Um, yeah, that's my thought. Corey, what do you think? Um, I, while listening to you guys talk, it just, literally I was having flashbacks of like different roles that I've played at Western and over 75% of the roles that I played had to do with the fact that I was black or even if it wasn't the fact that I was black, a point was made that I was black when it, I can't say it was really necessary. So for instance, freshman year hair, it was, it was pretty traumatizing. Um, one example is um, if you guys are familiar with hair, there's a part in act two where um God, why am I forgetting the names? Claude? Claude's the main guy, right? Um, is having like his dream. And uh Aretha Franklin and Abraham Lincoln both show up in the dream, but they just so happen to be they need to be played by black women. Um well, at Western Carolina, that just was not the case for a few of the rehearsals. Um our Aretha Franklin was played by um an Hispanic woman, which it threw me off a little bit, but that wasn't the biggest thing. Abe Lincoln was the biggest thing because Abe Lincoln, Aretha Franklin just had a little like snippet. She sang a little bit, but Abe had a whole song called Abe Baby. And at the time it was during the first few rehearsals, it was cast by a white woman and she has to say the N word and they felt necessary to go through with it. Um, And I'll never forget the um, actress who played her, did not feel comfortable doing it and kept would always when it came time to like read that part in rehearsal she would look towards the black people in the room and like almost like say i'm like in her eyes she'd say i'm so so sorry like they are making me do this sort of deal and so it just i'll never forget how uncomfortable she was just knowing that we would be uncomfortable but i was i just remember being so mad because nothing was being done about it like they just thought it was okay they said i mean literally we went through rehearsals we're singing the song, had learned the music and everything. And I was just like, whoa, like, are we not gonna? And I was like, me being the freshman, I wasn't gonna say anything. I just was gonna go be mad about it in my room. But I was like, what can I do? And I'll never forget reaching out to the Black um, Undergraduate Theater. Um, co- is it co- Coalition? Collection? Collective. Collective. There we go. On Facebook and reaching out to other, you know, POCs at other universities and like asking for help. Like, what would you do if you were in our shoes? And they said, bring it up. So I'll never forget. I could like literally pull up the emails now. I remember emailing. I don't remember who we emailed, but we emailed um, the professors and said, this isn't right. What can we do about it? Because I was like, we don't feel comfortable going through with the show, doing this in front of an audience where white people seeing other white people say the N-word and thinking it's okay. 
because that was already a problem that we had dealt with at Western is people just thinking it's okay, racial slurs, that was the norm. Um, and so we were like, what do we do? So it eventually got changed, but it went back to the whole fact that giving somebody else that was already playing a role, another role, just, you know, feel that not having enough POC in the show. So that was a whole deal. In Company, um, I played Paul, which is a Jew. Um, and I'll never forget, opening night, we went to the bars after to like celebrate opening. And someone came up to me and said, I thought it was really interesting that you played Paul. He's a Jew, right? Black people can't be Jews. And I remember like looking at her and saying, wait, what? Like I asked her to repeat it. I was like, hold on, you just came out of nowhere. Like what? what's going on? She repeated it and I just said, oh, and like laughed about it and walked away. And I like, I still get mad to this day just thinking, why did you not say anything, Corey? Why did you like let that statement mess with? Cause it messed with me. I, I was mad. And I never, I think I like left right after. Like, I just was like, why would someone say that to me? Like, did you not enjoy it? Like, is that all you thought about when I was on stage? You know, why does my race matter? I was like, all you need to know is that Paul is obsessed and is in madly in love with Amy. That's all you have to know. That's all there is for you to know. Why does it matter that I'm a black Jew confessing my love for Amy? I, so it just, so, you know, it just, that's just my whole, I don't know. It is, I just couldn't help but to think and to dwell on those past memories at Western and how, how it is my, my race played a big part, like a big part in my, you know, my training. It did. It just, I think like even like after that moment, music that I was given and like voice lessons started to gear towards, you know, that black side of musical theater or that, you know, that soulful, the Stevie Wonders, you know. I, w- I mean, we did get, you know, the Italian pieces. We got that out there, but, you know, it was more towards, like, what Motown song do you want to sing next week? Oh, okay. It was just that sort of deal. So just that just became my training. So, you know, that's, that's what I do. So, like, when I go to auditions now, I'm whipping out those, you know, Stevie Wonders because I know that's what they want to hear. They see me and they automatically think in their head, oh, what, you know, what Motown song am I going to hear today? Or what Beyonce song is she going to sing today? Just that sort of deal. So, like, hey. I, I don't, it's a tricky situation. It's really tricky. Um, I I let them have it. When I go to auditions or when I was going to auditions, I, would, I wouldn't I would say anything that they thought I would look like mm-hmm. I was right. Um, and we talked about this in my episode, um, just not being like right for Ain't Too Proud and just and Motown and all those like especially those shows in which you have to be a black person that existed mm-hmm. that is just so it's just so not something I I I dig because most of the most of the time the shows that are talking about black people who are, who existed they were they had these horrible upbringings there, there was an edu- there was an education thing that happened with them. Um, there was just like a roughness that I don't. It doesn't come to me as easily as I think a lot of people would think. Um, I also don't. I Corey and I do not sing the same at all. You know what I mean? I I do not. I I I don't think I sang any of the songs that you sang in school. Um, we did. We because- did. We did sing one song that's the same. We sang um, "Make It Here." Kristen made it a fact to make sure that I had make it here. She she praised you. She made sure I had that in my book, and it's still in my book. 
live but also but that there's something to that because that's that song is also not like race specific you know what i mean like we weren't we didn't have the same canon which i actually love i also i i my heart belongs to that woman who never made me feel like i was supposed to sing something um and have we all had her as a thank god yeah i think i know i oh my gosh i know thank Uh, god and I think I got, I think, I think I got lucky in that both, all of my voice teachers here, like her and Marina Duramaroff are both just like, Elena, you can be whoever the hell you want to mm-hmm. be and I'll embrace it um, and I'll help you be that. But kind of what you guys were saying, like in my head, I'm always thinking like there's some other show you could have picked. Um, there's some other thing we could have done. Um, like there's this one YouTube channel. I can't remember what it is now, but it's basically like, if you don't have the cast to do this, here's a show similar. Like if you want to do Bring It On, but you don't have black people, do Legally Blonde. It's still a big name. People still know it. There's no specific race that is required to play that. Um, and I think that was kind of a problem for me is that I could never figure out my type, quote unquote, here at Western, um, simply because when I'd ask professors, they'd be like, well, Alina, I think you could play anything. Like, I think you like almost as like a blanket answer so that they don't try to put me in a box like, oh, you could be anything. But that wasn't helpful. And um, we talk about this in the Black BFA episode. So I think you guys should all listen to the full thing. But we talk about how, especially in college, um, the white BFA students were allowed. There were so many varied types. There could be eight girls who look the same and they'll still tell you that all of them are different types. And then for in a collegiate setting, there's only one type of black person. Um, And I would go so far as to say specifically here since I've been here, I've said, even if it's not listed in the description, all the black, most of the black roles here, they've either been, what did I used to say? Um, I used to say they're either a a tyrant or a servant. So they were either built to completely serve whoever the main character was who was white and help them with whatever their problems were and they rarely got their own full backstory or they were the tyrant and they were the one thing in the way of the white lead and the one thing blocking Mm. them or the one thing in like, like all the roles that I've taken on here that were not in a setting where I either um, it was important, like instead of like a black theater ensemble show where the point is to let people play based on just what their skill set is and not what they look like. Um, I was playing a servant or I was playing a tyrant. Like it was either Mrs. Potts and Beauty and the Beast and I'm helping Belle get what she wants or I'm Danielle and bringing on and I'm trying to stop Campbell from getting what she wants. Um, and I, because of my high school, um, it wasn't a diverse high school at all. However, um, because there weren't a lot of people just basically interested in musical theater with a certain skill set, I was able to play a lot more, a wider range of things just because they needed someone who could sing it. Like, who can hit these notes? Okay, Elena, we'll let her do it. Um, so I had a lot more freedom that until I got to college, I didn't realize that even that people even viewed me as a stare, like that people even tried to put me in that box. I didn't even understand that I would ever be placed in that box. Cause similar to Tyler, um, especially when I first started singing, my voice doesn't lend itself to what someone would think stereotypically when they hear black woman singing in musical theater. Uh, my voice doesn't sound like that. Um, not that it, that's not good nor bad. Like there are people who do that and do that amazingly well. And there are people who don't. Um, but because I didn't, I was kind of forced to go out for other things. Cause in my head, I was like, well, like vocally, this is the best choice. And dealing with my professors is they would be like, well, I understand that like you think your voice type is here, but like your look is here. So let's gear you th- towards this way. Um, but 
I've kind of just had to fight it on my own. You have to find, I think every like black student has to find the people that are in their corner. Um, Kristen Hedberg being one of those mm-hmm. is like, the, like she's never let me box myself in for any reason. Like last year we were like picking songs and we were looking at Aida because um, I used to sing Dance of the Robe all the time. Like that was a cut I have, which I still have. I love the cut. But in my head, I was like, realistically, like I'm more of an Amneris than I am a Aida just in my personality and the way that I act. And she was like, okay, then let's sing an Amneris song. Who cares? Like realistically, everyone in that show should be black in some way. Um, and so she was like, okay. Like she would never let me double down. And like, even there'd be times where I'd tell her, oh, well, I feel like, my type when I leave here, like it might lend, like I might have to play into these boxes. And so maybe I should just work on rep. And she was like, no, just be yourself and don't make excuses for anyone. And so I, I do want to close out this BFA section saying that even though it has been hard and all three of us have had our own different tra- traumatic experience with just being a black person in this industry, hmm. um, there are specific people who may not share our experiences that have still rooted for us Mm -hmm. and still pushed us to try to find our own individuality Mm -hmm. um, and figure out exactly what we want. Like, I want to be an Ain't Too Proud at some point. I do want to do those shows. I don't like black shows that are written by white people or directed by white creative teams because it's so very clear. That's when you can see the stereotype, you know, like Hairspray. You can see that it's written by white people. It's fun, you know, it's a fun little musical, but you can see it. and I'm not interested in playing black for white audiences. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in shows where they happen to be black, but the story is not about that. The story is about this story of triumph, the story of creation. Um, something like Ain't Too Proud, like, yes, they're black artists. Yes, there are certain things in the show that make me uncomfortable. There are certain stereotypes that we didn't have to enforce. But overall, in my head, it's like these men who happen to be black and dealing with the what it means to be black in that time, trying to work together and deal with each other's personalities to create something bigger than themselves. And that's what that story's about. It's not, oh, come see these black people sing, even though that's what people think it is. It's let's see these people overcome and create Ooh. something bigger than themselves, even though they're set up to be viewed as less than than their white counterparts from the beginning. But let's see them overcome it anyway. Those are the black stories I'm interested in playing in. Um, and I'm just not interested in being a caricature or a stereotype for someone to pay and see it. Um, and I think those that's something I've learned from like the people who have come into these programs before me and the people with me um, and the professors who are invested in me. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to say that, like, I think we can all agree that there are people who are in our corner. And you can find those people, even if they're not in your program, you know, you can reach out, go to Facebook, go to Twitter go to Instagram. We can find people, you know? Oh, really quick. This is... um. An episode with Renee Rapp, who I adore. Um, And it's a really short section, but I just wanted to bring it up because she talks about something from a different perspective. Like we were talking about, there's no way that white people can understand the experiences of black people. I think she's someone who really gets it. Mm. And in this section, I think she really talks about it. So let's listen to that. Yes. (laughs) It has challenged me in that sense because I'm always like, 
how should I navigate, right? And something that I heard recently was like, listen, you're going to make mistakes in being an ally. You can't not make mistakes. You have to make mistakes. The only way we grow is by making mistakes. So for me, I've just been like, okay, cool. If I make a mistake and someone calls me out on it, I will gladly accept that. Say, thank you so much for reaching out to me. Thank you so much for taking your time specifically out of your day to be like, yo, I think this might be da-da-da, and here's why, da-da-da. That to me is helpful because I can't educate myself on black and brown experiences because I'm fucking white. <laughs> I don't understand, right? I can. I only have my Twitter timeline to try and empathize with my friends who are more than willing to speak out and, and, and let their experiences be heard from their trauma, which is a gigantic privilege to me, specifically as a white girl, to be able to read, right? Um, but I think, I think there's, there's, you know, there's levels to this shit, right? And there's, there's no cookie at the end. There's no end there. It is a, it is a ongoing, it is an ongoing fight, right? Like as we see, you know, social media start to trans transform back into normal day to day lives and whatever that may be, I'm having to try and understand that yes, our careers are still going to happen, right? We still have to pay our rent, but we also have to implement this fight into our daily life, right? It has to become, it has to become the normal where it was not before for me specifically. And for a lot of people, I'm sure. Sister yeah. Renee did some good preaching on that episode. She did some good she preaching did. and I would attend her church any moment, any minute. Open your church, Renee, I'm there. Let me, let me be, let me sing praise and worship. I'm there. She'd look great in a, um, What's that called? That those gowns that the what I the robe robe robes yeah gown the rap AME church oh I'm you <laughs> she's gonna die when she <laughs> <laughs> I the thing that I love and I want to hear both of your thoughts so I'm not gonna talk much but the thing that I loved about this moment specifically one you don't get a cookie. For that, thinking that that's my moment wrong. that was my moment you don't get praise that's the bare minimum sweetheart no one should have to clap for you um mm -hmm. also that you will make mistakes and the thing about making mistakes is you have to be willing to be called out on those mistakes not willing to make the mistakes but willing to check your ego and if somebody comes up to you and says that there's a problem they don't have to question it they don't have to say well, i'm sorry if i made you feel that way no mm -hmm. it's not if mm -hmm. you made me feel that way it's because then you're apologizing. You're not apologizing for your behavior. You're apologizing for my reaction to the behavior. Ooh. Um, yes. Well. And David said the same thing in his episode when he went to his professor. The whole "if I made you," I, uh, I just think that's such a that it's just like not a com. It's not a an apology. It's just a conversation that mm -hmm. is going on for too long now. When the "if" comes into, I'm sorry if I made you feel. I I'm sorry if you. Uh, it's just so gross. Mm -mm. Also, this girl is 20. Like, the fact that a 20-year-old understands this more than professors in my department who are 40 mm. with MFA degrees, mm. the fact Speak that she can it. understand this somehow, it makes me feel less crazy. Because I think that's part of the experience. It's like feeling crazy for feeling these things because everyone else around you is like, I don't get why you're so upset about this. Like, calm down. It's like, no, this is proof that it's not that hard to understand you just have to be willing to understand it and be willing to be wrong mm -hmm. Woo. speak on it sister elena 
Sister Renee, okay? First Lady Renee rap, everyone. First Lady, now that is about to take me out. First Lady Renee rap. Okay, yeah. back to the whole the whole getting a cookie at the end, like it's an ongoing, you know, journey. I felt with the whole, when the Black Lives Matter movement sparked back up back in May, June, I felt personally, for a minute, I was, you know, off social media. I was like, I need, and let me, let me take my break because I often scroll so much and read so much on social media that I get headaches just thinking about the what ifs that I have to just put my phone away. And it's hard to do because, you know, whenever you see Corey, he has his phone. But during that time period, I had to put it down. And I felt like oftentimes, I I talked to Lynn about this a few months ago. It just, I found it really hard to tell if my white friends were, you know, reaching out and, you know, doing whatever they were doing, posting on their social medias, posting their black squares to make me happy. Just, you know, here, so I would shut up about it or if they were doing it because they actually, you know, were genuine. And I'm sure there's a mix between the two, but, you know, that's where the cookie part comes in. I feel like they wanted me to give them a prize. They wanted me to, you know, shout them out and say, yes, yes, girl, you did that. Yes, boy, you better, you know, say Black Lives Matter. Go you, you know, that sort of, they wanted me to cheer them on. And I, I don't, I just didn't, I wasn't the biggest fan of the whole, I don't know. It just, it made me very uncomfortable. It made me feel like I had to work harder to be a black person. And like, it is, or not work harder, but it just was very obvious and just very, when you think, I don't know, just, I don't, oh, it's so hard to just, I'm still trying to find the words for it, but you know, just trying, you know, I just feel like I almost had to be like, not guilty for my blackness, but you know, I don't know. It just, I was very sensitive at the time about, you know, the whole movement and just like seeing like how social media reacted to mm-hmm. the movement. Yeah. Because it was so performative. It felt yeah. so performative, like posting all these things on your Instagram squares where only your progressive friends follow you and yeah. not on your Facebook page where your racist family lives ooh, and ooh, not in your ooh. home Uh-oh. where your racist family lives and Uh-oh. pays your bills probably. Oh, 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 It was like, it felt... Especially like as black people during that time, like talking to I think both of you during that time mm-hmm. was so draining. Mm. Cause think since Trayvon Martin, what year was that? Was that 2008, 2007, 2000? No, the, further. It was like, I wanna say it was like but the 20, since, like, when was that? It's since like the beginning, since I like started recognizing social media as like something that was like, right when it was starting to take full form, and that was when we started seeing black bodies killed, black mm-hmm. bodies on a screen. 2000. And so 2012, lovely. So since 2012, for eight straight years, we have seen countless black bodies on screens just murdered. And the weight of all of that, plus the weight of a global pandemic Come on. was destroying me. And it was not helpful when the people who have never reached out to me, because again, this is, that's happened since 2012 and black men and black women were being killed by police before that. Um, but at no point before May or June were people reaching out to me, hey, it, I need to be a better ally. If you need something, let me know. None of those texts were ever happening until it was the cool thing to do. Yes. And so for me to be so drained and to the point where there were weeks where like I just didn't get out of bed. I just laid around. I didn't do anything. I didn't talk to anyone. I turned my phone off. Like just having to lay and just exist because it was so tiring and not feeling like 
the people were reaching out were being genuine. Like the people, the white people in my life, they didn't have to send me a text and did not. We would just talk about it later because I knew that I didn't need them to send me a text then to know that they were there for me beforehand because they made it abundantly clear. Um, So yeah, I agree, Corey. It was just so, it made me feel even more ostracized than before, I think. Mm -hmm. It made me feel like the other even more than previously absolutely like it felt like we were like zoo like in a i used to talk about that like when I, my freshman year here i felt like i was in a zoo like i felt like if i said something that related to my blackness people would just stop and look like oh wow look at her do the thing that's like black like that's what this situation made me feel like it felt like we were on display and people were just watching us and making comments and judgment i hear you on that one i think when i was i was living in harlem at the time everything it was everywhere you couldn't escape it it was all over the, all your feeds. Um, and I was outside. I remember I was outside. I don't know if you two saw it, but I like posted this video. I just like turned on my phone and I posted this video and I was just like in tears. Just about like, like live for the spotlight, but never would I have thought like there would be argument behind us mattering. Like, mm-hmm. There's just so much energy in seeing people comment on like why this matters. And now I live in PA. It's a swing state. There are just as many Blue Lives Matter signs as there are All Lives Matter signs as there are Black Lives Matter signs. Um, And it's everywhere. It is everywhere. And I've had conversations with my husband who is white and and we've gone on road trips um, since Um, and I just, I had to make it known that like, you get to people who are not black or people of color get to like, you know, you get to scoff at the all lives matter. If you, if you don't, if you don't agree with it, which I hope you don't, um, or the all lives matter. Yes, we get it. Yes. All lives matter. It's not what we're saying. The context of it is that right now, apparently some of you need to be reminded that, Blue, um, black lives matter you know what i mean and i had a conversation with him in which i was like you get to ride this nine hours and when you see these signs like you might be affected because you're married to me but there the, the sign isn't talking directly to you mm. you know what i mean when you see the when you see those signs when you see people post and when you see those people that used to talk to you in high school post for Trump and all that stuff, that it, they are talking at you. They are talking to you. It affects you. And sometimes it affects them, but they just don't know it. So it's just like, okay, you're you're an idiot. But um, we won't get into politics. But um, <laughs> yeah, it is, um, it's rough. And, and still t- kind of, I still feel like I'm still gaining the strength back knowing that there's been so many months of people like arguing about it people screaming that black lives do matter and then some people having a problem with that um and it makes it difficult for like those of us who are in leadership positions feel powerful enough to even like do it the way we want to to feel empowered Mm -hmm. to be in that position i like you know i'm teaching in front of an incredible group of students and yet my my mind tells me that I shouldn't be in this position I shouldn't be here and like 
and maybe my I'm not maybe it's not it's my mind at that point in time is not about my race, but all that trauma, all that stuff happening in the world just lessens the cup that is confidence. So mm-hmm. like you just don't feel confident enough to do like what you usually would if people weren't arguing about whether or not you exist the mm-hmm. way you want to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's um it's wild. It's so wild. And it's so something else is like people thinking that they are removed from racism because they're not on that wild end of the spectrum. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like because they have black people in their lives, thinking that that means they can't have biased thoughts, which everyone does. Um, thinking that there is no kind of internalized racism in them. Um, I watched this video talking about Amy Cooper. Amy Cooper is the white woman who called the police on a man in Central Park. Yeah. Um, over this quarantine time. Um, and there was a video and it was like, Amy Cooper is a liberal woman, a liberal white woman. She's Democrat. <laughs> and she still recognized that the she still recognized the weight that calling the police on a black man. She recognized that weight and used it to her advantage. And she weaponized it. Mm-hmm. But she still, she probably voted for Obama, you know? She probably is voted for Biden, you know? Like, but she's still, there's still racism there. There's still um, work to be done there. And I also don't like, there's some some people who have come to me and been like, hey, just so you know, I'm an ally. Um, and I don't think the word ally, it can just be, I don't think you can claim it. I think it has to be earned. Mm-hmm. You saying you're an ally doesn't mean anything to me if you've done nothing to prove it. Like, you can't just say I'm an ally and then boom, you're not, you're not racist. You have no racist bone in your body. You're the most woke out of everyone that you know. Yeah. Um, it's a never ending cycle. And that's another thing that Renee said is like, it never ends. Like some people who were like, so when do I have to stop posting about like, black? like that's a question that someone has asked is like, when do I have to, like, when can I stop? Like, when should, can we start posting about like our normal lives? Like when I can I post my selfie that like, I just glow in the sun. Like when can I post that? And it's like, that like fighting if you genuinely want to fight for this it never ends you have to find a way to interwove like interconnect it to your daily life um Mm -hmm. and later on in that episode like right after that clip we just listened to she talks about how when she's doing brand deals when she's talking to her agents and her managers about what opportunities she wants to take that's a discussion and it's like what does this company stand for um, how do how have they approach the Black Lives Matter situation? If they haven't approached it at all, then no, thank you. Let's find something else. Like it has to be continuously, especially white people with a platform. Mm-hmm. They have to constantly implement that into their daily routine. It's like imperative. Yeah, you're so right. The 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 calling yourself an ally is the cookie. That is the cookie mm. that. You know what I mean? Calling yourself an ally. And it's the same as like, it's not the same, but it's, it's just like, it's just like an actor thinking that once rehearsals are done and you're performing that the work stops, there is no arrival when it comes to creating. There's no arrival when it comes to fighting for something that you believe in. There is no arrival for justice. I believe we'll be fighting for things like this for a very long time. And we, we might see a lot of change, but there will always be something to work on. That's what like life is. You know what I mean? Um, and I see that. I see those little nuances in 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 the education system, student 
teacher, all of it. Like just this idea that like it is as cut and it is just like so cut and dry of like uh, uh, reading a book and then you know the material, you know what I mean? It's just like not that easy. You know, things are even like medicine, it, it evolves all the time. Like there's just never going to be, you're never going to all always get it. And I have to remind myself that too, when I'm like banging myself down, being like, I'm not good at this. But I'm like, oh, you'll just never, you will always be a student. If you just accept that, then you won't need the title of ally. You'll just know it, mm-hmm. believe it, and you'll be a practicing ally. And you won't need someone to, you won't need to be a, you won't have to put that on your bio and your Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't mm. need that. just just fucking live by it and like just put it in your. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between having a coach bag and then like thinking that you have to tell people you have a coach bag. Just have the coach bag and let it make you feel good. You know what I mean? But if you're doing it for other people and you're showcasing that you have a coach bag, then no one wants to hang out with you. You just look dumb, right? You know, just like be the practicing ally that you you want people to know you are let them see you in action whether rather than like have to be public about it that's good that's mm-hmm. good mm. not we all deacon speak. mckenzie yeah, not y'all preaching in here we haven't we it's sunday morning it's sunday morning <laughs> you get so make a joyful noise okay let's let's um i'm interested to hear what your favorite is Corey. As a listener and overall having listened to the episodes, I won't assume that you've listened to all of them. Have you listened to all of them? Yeah. No way. Have you really? No, there's like maybe like three or four that I haven't. But, 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 but God is still good. Um, Okay, but actually it's kind of funny. I'm glad I picked what I picked. So I actually picked from Michael Kilgore's episode, the most recent episode, which is if y'all, y'all that know me know how much I love Mr. Kilgore. Mm. Y'all know how much I adore that man. So, you know, as soon as that episode came out, I got that notification. I said, beep, boop, 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 boop. And I put it on the Bluetooth speaker and we were met. We were, we were here. We were here. So, um, I think a good segue just because we've been dwelling on our different experiences, our different past and how taxing it can be being a black, you know, a black performer in this industry, in this world, being a black person in this world. And one moment that he spoke on was just the fact that you can't let anyone steal your joy. You got to honey, keep the joy, keep that joy. It's so easy for someone to try to steal it. Y'all get into it, get into it. Here we go. Um. Okay. <laughs> Michael, if you could talk to yourself, like your younger self, or just like a young black boy, like entering this industry, what's something that you wish you would have known that you would tell them? Protect your joy. Protect it. And I say protect because it's proactive and it is about building a, um, building a, um, a fortress around your joy because Mm -hmm it is very easy for um, people around you um, and situations around you to like try to rob you of that joyous thing that I feel like is so overabundant in your youth. Um, And then, you know, we spend most of our adulthood trying to like find Neverland again and, you know, get back to that place of like just happiness and joy. And like, Mm -hmm. um, I, I would tell my younger self 
to just really be protective of it. I've been very blessed and I've been very lucky that I wasn't sucked dry of my joy. Um, Mm -hmm. But for any other actor and and even for myself, I could have had more. I could have been less focused on like, oh, am I skinny enough? Am I tall enough? Am I, am I too dark? Am I too black? Am I, am I black enough for the, for the people? Mm. Like, am I, um, and just been joyous about doing the work and also like when successes happen, enjoying that, <laughs> like not going, okay, well, great. Achieve that. What's next? Like just kind of taking a right. break and just going, wow, I'm looking around and there were so many people who started this race with me and they're not here. And I, right. and I'm here. Wow. Who let me breathe that in and just, you know, and be joyous in the fact that I endured. Yes. Um, and take a, take a sip of water before I keep running because I don't want to peter out. Um, so, so there, there's that too. Um, my granddaddy used to say, enjoy your youth. And I was like, what a silly saying. <laughs> yes. I have such a difficult, especially when I was like in the thick of it all, I had such a hard time sitting into the moment. Mm. So much good happened. He was so, so, he's so right. We're so quick to check the box, get the show, get the, get the cop, whatever it is that you, you know, the goal. And then like moving on so quickly to the next thing rather mm. than enjoying sitting into the seat, enjoying what it feels like, enjoying what the air feels like eating a snack you know what i mean whilst in that present moment i i so remember being like like walking to my broadway show going to my dressing room and being mid show a show that i like totally like worked really hard to be in and i was there for a little bit and then i'm already like scrolling through and looking at the like auditions and we're just trained to continue keep to try to one up yourself every single time and not like enjoy the moment. Like instead of, instead of that, I could have put my phone down and like enjoyed what it felt like to like chat with these people who've all worked hard to get there. It's just like, Oh, he's so right. Oh my God. And he said, it so quick. Mm-hmm. Protect your joy. I asked the question. He was like, protect your joy. Like create a fortress. Oh, so good. He, I, I also am a part of the Michael Hill Gore fan club. Um, <laughs> but just like talking to him, be, he's so unapologetically himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing I loved about this was like when he was saying, like, he was like, luckily I wasn't sucked dry of my joy, but I could have always had more. Um, I have let people and myself take joy away from things that I should be joyous about, things I should mm-hmm. be proud of, things I should consider a big deal I have tried to downplay because I don't want to be that person. Um, Especially like in college, the bubble here is so small and can get so toxic that how dare you be happy that you got something? How dare you be happy that you're being successful or that you're happy with what you're doing in life? Um, And he he said it's proactive. You have to constantly be working towards it. Um, And like, I love being black. Like, not gonna get like we go through some things but it's not because of us it's usually because other people have a problem with us being black um but i love it and i wish i spent more time here embracing it and not trying to hide it and not trying to 
find ways to seem like I fit in more. Um, Cause I also liked what he said about like preserving yourself. He wants, he said, he's like, I want to endure the race. I love that whole race analogy. Cause he was like, he's looking around and he started with people who aren't with him anymore. And he wants to keep moving forward. So he's like, take that sip of water so you can keep running the race. So you don't tire out. Um, and that's the thing. Like if you keep going and going and going, you're going to burn yourself out. Um, like right around the time I became a little bit more radical in my life was the time that like I was at the lowest and like I wanted to give up performance completely. I wanted to give up the arts. And I had to sit there and be like, do I hate theater? Or do I just hate theater here and the way that I am asked to do it here? Um, and I had to reinvigorate why I wanted to do it. I had to separate my love for it from anything, from my training, anything from my professors, anything from what I was required to do here. I just had to be a love that I had on my own and I had to protect it. And I had to do whatever I had to do to preserve it, whether that meant um, doing independent projects, directing my own shows, just singing songs that I loved in the car by myself. Like that's something that I've had to, I've had to refine a love for singing in general. Um, and just like doing those things to protect you. Cause no one, my mom just told me this a couple of days ago. No one is going to protect your dreams other than you. No Ooh. one has your goals and it's no one else's responsibility for you to make space for those goals and make space for those dreams. And if you don't, if you don't make the time for your dream, somebody else is going to determine your schedule for you. Mm. Um, mm. And so like knowing that no one else is, no one else wants what I want for myself. People can want me to succeed. People want, you know, they'd wish me well, but they don't have, they, they don't want it in the way that I want it for myself. And if I don't take the time to preserve that dream and that goal, then it's, I'm going to lose it. And that's like knowing that that's something that you have control over. Like there's so many things we do not have control over in this industry, in our lives, in America. Um, but that's something you do have control over. Prioritizing your time, prioritizing your joy, prioritizing your mental health. Like those are things you have active control over. Ooh, I am so guilty. I mean, the guiltiest of being stuck in my head Elena, Tyler, y'all know, y'all know, I, anything, we were just arguing you know, about this. something will happen. I immediately will get on the phone, call, you know, call you to, what do I do? You know, always in my head. And, you know, it took me such a long time to figure out how to deal with that and still find the joy in it. You know, it's, it's an honor. I'm grateful to wake up every day. You know, you never know what day is going to be your last. I often make this joke and, you know, it's really not a joke. I say, say for instance let's go get that fatty burger at mcdonald's because you never know when your last meal is going to be enjoy that moment it's the little things you know because it's so draining it's so hard being you and keeping i often found myself at least through most of college putting on that fake smile everyone's always like corey's so bubbly corey's this like big energy which yes yes that is me but you know it gets hard but you know i don't want to show y'all that i dare not show y'all that you know i you know and so it took me a long time to, you know, find the joy and, you know, doing what we do. It's hard. It is one of the hardest, one of the hardest things. And it just, there's so much that often goes to my mind. Am I, you know, like Michael, my, like Michael said, am I tall enough? Am I skinny enough? That's been one of my, it is, that's one of it. That's been one of my big things. It's hard being a black person in this industry, but being a bigger black person in this industry 
is a whole nother world, a whole nother world. And I've experienced that the hard way, the hard way. And it's, you know, it's been rough. And so I think that's, that's guided my mentality on, you know, what I want to be in this industry and like what I'll look like in this industry, you know, from like costumes to, you know, wanting to look good in my costumes, you know, making, you know, making people want to, you know, you know, hit me up, be like, oh, you were cute in this show. Like, what's your number? You know, that sort of deal. You know, it's, it's hard. So, you know, I did it for all the wrong reasons and it took me the longest time to realize that I was doing it for the wrong reasons. But now I'm so happy that I've like found, you know, it's the little things that make me happy now, you know? And it sucks that we're in the time that we're in because we have a lot of downtime and a lot of time to dwell in our past and to dwell in, you know, the moments that make us who we are today. And, you know, I took some time and I was like, Corey, we're not doing that no more, baby. <laughs> baby, baby, pick your head up. Baby, get you, pick yourself up, baby. Go get you a good old outfit on, you know, make yourself look good, watch you a good old movie, listen to your favorite artist. You know, it's just the little things like that that I have, you know, held on for dear life to, you know, and it, it gets me day by day because I say that all the time when people ask, Corey, how are you doing these days? I said, I'm taking it day by day because I am. It's hard. And, you know, I'm glad that Michael, you know, reminded me of that in the episode. I, it came at the right time. I needed to hear it because, you know. Things are picking up now, but, you know, there came a time a few months ago where I was like, Corey, what what you doing? What you doing? You've you been laying for too long, you know? I was like, because I know God has a plan for me, and I know I got I have a lot to do. I have a lot on my list, and I'm not Claim done. It. I'm not done, baby. I'm not done. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Bishop Corey. Bishop Corey. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it just, I'm so glad that he said what he said because I need to hear it. So, you know. For the people out there, look at turn to your neighbor, say neighbor, say say it, y'all say it, neighbor, (laughs) say neighbor one more time, neighbor, (laughs) get yourself up, get yourself up, get yourself up, Daniel, Daniel, don't don't put that in, Daniel, don't put that in, don't put that in, he gonna put it in, don't put that in, don't put that in, please don't put that in. (laughs) Yeah, I think, and that's something I make a point to ask specifically all the. Um, guests of color that we've had on that I've interviewed as I asked them what would they have told themselves a younger version of them or a young black girl or a young black boy entering this industry Um, because I think it's important that the people who came before us went through a lot worse but they went through it so that we didn't so Mm. that we don't have to Um, you don't have to like I think you don't have to make the same mistakes everyone else did to like earn your stripes or to prove that you belong here. Like you should be using these kind of people. Like we should be listening to these voices of like Michael and everyone else who in the industry who's talked about the things they've gone through. Like you, Tyler, our other guests, Kayla, Kyle, Mm -hmm. you know, like Aaron, those people who have already gone through the thing, listening to them and moving forward. Like we need, like that's what people talk about. Like, why do we need history? We need history so that we don't repeat it. We need to learn the history so that we don't make those same mistakes. Um, and like Michael, I agree, Corey, it was just like at a perfect time where it's just like, you're on your own path and go for it mm-hmm. and don't apologize. Specifically mm-hmm. now, like in a pandemic, like if they're not paying your bills, if they're not, Come on. if they have no direct impact on your life, then they don't matter. And so if that's if other people's opinions are the thing that's stopping you from celebrating yourself mm. and your milestones, like then it's not worth it. Speak on it. 
And I love Michael Kilgore. He's a star. He said one thing that I am so glad that he said. Uh, The way that he looks up to Billy Porter is the way that I look up to him. And I'm it literally like history repeats itself. I'm so glad that I can see someone that sounds like me and that looks like me succeed in this business and succeed in life because, Mm -hmm. you know, they, you know, they have no idea. Well, he does, but you know, it it means a lot to see, you know, yourself and someone else. And, you know, that's, it gives you that push. He gives you Mm. that push. Whenever I'm low, I'll, if I have to put on some music, his album is one of the albums I will go to. There's a few artists out there that I can go to, but he gives me that push. So I'm gl- so glad that I can have someone that might like Michael and like Billy, like James Monroe, just like have all these people out there for me, you know, to look up to. You know, it does a lot. It does a lot. And all those people have someone. Like, there's several people, like Leslie Odom Jr., Joshua mm. Henry. Those are all people who have said Billy Porter specifically mm-hmm. I ha- was a person that they were like, if he can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. And every. Specifically, every black artist in theater, I think, has someone that they saw do something. Even if it's someone that they doesn't have, they don't have to be Broadway. You could just have seen any performance and been like, "Oh, this person can do this, and I can do this as well." Um, like, and we all have those, you know. Minds are like Adrian Warren, Ariana Debose, mm-hmm. Rebecca Naomi Jones. You mm-hmm. know, like the people who have taken what taken what they were given and made something so much more and risen above any standard set for them. Um, And that's what we're here to do. Like we go through these things and like we hopefully like all the things we've talked about today, like all the traumatic stuff we went through so that in 10 years, the students at Western don't have to go through what we had to put up with, you know, Mm -hmm. that the people work entering the industry in 20 years will hear what we had to go through. And they're like, oh, my God, I can't imagine dealing with all of that because it's no longer a reality for them. Like and that's like. That's also like part of why I love this podcast is just like sharing these stories to let everybody know that one, they're not alone. And that two, like it's getting better. There's a way, there's a light somewhere at the end of the tunnel. That the tunnel might be real long, real long. But at the end of it, there's some kind of like, there's going to be growth and growth is uncomfortable. Growth is painful, but there's growth and it's going to create something better than what we started with, you know? Absolutely. I agree. I love this space. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you came to me to make this, to make this. <laughs> I'm so happy about it. This has been so awesome, everyone. Yes. You already know. Oh my God. <laughs> Sets, we're keeping that in. There's no cutting that. He's done it like four times. That is a producer order. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, well is do we want to do we want to close it out thank you all for listening to another episode of fourth wall the podcast if you want to listen to any of the episodes we referred to today check out the show notes also you can find some information on where to follow me follow tyler or follow Corey. all ooh. down below do you guys have any parting words for the people before we leave um yeah, if you have some catching up to do, like Corey does. Oh. Binge. Just binge. There's Ooh. so many good <laughs> Just go for it. Um, I'm so happy about the guests who have come to share their stories, and I cannot thank them enough. And I look forward to even more people. We are, we are actively looking for as many different point of views to have on this platform, have on this space, and um, 
can't wait to talk to you all soon in our next recap in another 12 however many episodes we have <laughs> mm-hmm. um all i got to say y'all is i'm gonna miss y'all so much okay all i gotta say is uh find something to be happy about today find the joy in today that's all i got to say <laughs> yes yes my good friend leon he's been saying the devil is busier the devil is busy but i'm busier come on okay and that's what we have to maintain come on all right let's get out of here thanks listeners have a great rest of your day bye you just listened to another episode of fourth wall the podcast if you like fourth wall head on over to apple Podcasts and give us five stars you can also follow our journey on Instagram at This Is Fourth Wall and on Facebook at Fourth Wall. And if you have any questions, ideas for new episodes, thoughts, want to submit a letter that we could read aloud, or just want to say hey, email us at hello at fourthwallpod.com. That is hello at fourthwallpod.com. I hope you guys have an amazing, amazing week, and we'll see you next time for some good, I mean good, conversation on Fourth Wall the podcast. Bye, y'all.